Good morning. Let me try that again. Well, I'm privileged to be uh, with you this morning. Uh, Wendy, my wife, and I, we've been coming to Christ Point for about three years. We've wor- worshipped with you. We're part of the Christ Point family. And as James said, I've had a great privilege to walk alongside Christ Point for this last year in more, in more depth. Um, not only James, is James a really good communicator of the Word of God. I love it. Uh, but James also cares about people. Now, when I visited churches, oftentimes for me, I like to, if I'm visiting, I like to maybe meet a pastor or a leader from the church. And when I had a chance to meet James, what was fascinating to me was, out of all the pastors I met, and I, these other pastors that I met and had a chance to sit down with, they're all good men, so I don't mean this in a negative way at all. But James was the one, by far, that was the best listener and listened to our story. And, and brothers and sisters, I mean, isn't that really what you want in a shepherd? is a listener. I've also gotten to know the elders at Christ Point, Billy, a Chris, and James a bit better. And I want to tell you this, this is what I've, I've learned to love them. And uh, for many reasons, they're imperfect. Uh, that makes me feel really comfortable. They're authentic. They're humble. And they have a passion to point other people to Jesus. And that's the new vision of Christ Point, right? Pointing other people to Jesus. Pointing people to Jesus. That's it. And uh, James preached a couple weeks ago about that, pointing other people to Jesus. And then he preached last week on the first E statement. We have four E statements encountering the transforming power of the Word of God. That was the first one. The hurricane got us off a little bit. And so the second statement is experiencing authentic community. The fourth statement is engaging all people. And then the third statement, which I'm going to speak about today, is establishing a culture of joyful service. Let me just pray quickly for us. Really for me. Oh God, pray you'd help me. Not one more word than you would want. Not one word less, I pray. And I pray, Father, you do that for James this morning as he speaks uh, at Fellowship Bible in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. Culture. Changing a culture. Establishing a culture. What does it take to change a culture? I know in our ministry, uh, my wife Wendy and I and our daughter Becky uh, also is a part of our ministry uh, we get people call us, and so Christian organizations will call us, and they'll say to us, you know, if they decide they're going to work with us, or they're thinking about working with us, they'll say something like this. You know, if we begin to work with you, about, in about how long will it take before we can expect to see change? And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. How long did it take you to get that way? <laughs> I mean, I'm from Nebraska, now, I'm a Cornhusker fan, and I, I'm still willing to admit it. Now, if you know anything about college football, then you know Nebraska has a new head football coach. His name is Scott Frost. He came from Central Florida, and uh, he grew up in Nebraska. He led Nebraska to a national championship in 97, and, and he, um, besides coaching for Oregon, he coached in Central Florida right before he came, and this is what he did, you know. That team, Central Florida, in 2015 had zero wins and 12 losses. And in two years' time, last year, Central Florida was 13 wins and zero losses. 
That's pretty amazing. I mean, that's an amazing turnaround in a short amount of time. Now, he came to Nebraska, and Nebraska lost their first two games. Now, that may not sound like much to you. That hasn't happened at Nebraska since before I was born. It may take a while to change the culture. You know, after that second game, when he said, Scott Frost said, he said, things may get worse before they get better. I think he's a prophet because Michigan crushed Nebraska the following week and Purdue embarrassed him yesterday. I don't know when they were 0-4. It takes a while to change a culture. Now, at Christ Point, we're working to establish a culture, strengthen a culture, and not just from zero, but because we already have a lot of great elements in that culture. We have great volunteers. You have great family members. There are people that serve and are doing it. But we're trying to establish a much stronger culture of joyful service than we've had before. And that's going to take some time. Um, it's a journey. My uh, former boss used to say, uh, takes 10,000 mistakes to learn a language. We're on a thousand-step journey here over the next few years, and we're on the first couple steps. And so, brothers and sisters, can I just encourage you to be patient with Christ Point leaders. Be patient with each other. Uh, it's going to take some time. And I hope it doesn't happen, but things could get worse before they get better. A culture of joyful service begins in the heart. Now, I've discovered over the years that I can approach spiritual activity in two different ways. In a transactional way or in a transformational way. Right? I could read my Bible and I can just kind of, if I were doing it in a transactional way, how might that look? Well, I might just do my reading plan. Read the three chapters I promised myself I was going to read every day. You know, I'd have my quiet time because I know I'm obliged to have my quiet time. Have you ever read the Bible like that? I have. And then you can read the Bible in a transformational way. Oh, God, speak to me this morning. Have you ever had this happen? Where you're reading the Bible and you surrender to God. God, teach me something this morning. And the words of God jump off the page and burn a hole in your heart. You ever have that happen? I have. Right? And then we can worship in a transactional way. Isn't that right? I mean, I can see the words on the screen and I can sing the words. I can sing on time. Jesus, yeah, or not. Jesus said something interesting. He said, this people worships me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I've worshipped like that, where it's just the words. But then if I worship in a transformational way, I'm letting the words and the music Flood my soul. And I'm completely surrendered to God in worship. Have you worshipped like that? 
feels like Jesus is coming down to be with us. And then there's serving. Serving is just like that. I can serve in a transactional way. Jesus died for me, therefore I should serve Him. Jesus died for me, therefore... Right? Guys, you ever buy a present for your wife out of obligation? You know, you knew it was her birthday, you know it's the anniversary. I've got to go get her a gift. If I don't, I'm going to feel guilty. You see, we can, I can love my wife in a transactional way or in a transformational way. Out of the great love that I have for her, that she has for me, that I might just do something spontaneous for her. That I would seek to understand who she is and allow her to be just empowered in her giftedness to do what God called her to do. And do something out of the extraordinary. Just go. Let me just tell you something. I've been at marriage for 38 years. I love Wendy, my wife, more today than I have ever loved her in my life. I never tire of her. I never tire of her conversations. That's, an, that's a miracle that she loves me back. You know, you can serve God in the same way. I can serve God like I've been drafted into the army, like I'm forced to do it, or I can serve Him with an engaged heart. Or because of His love and His grace that He's poured onto me in a response to His grace and love, I want to serve Him. I want to serve Him. And then when it happens that way, it becomes something... I get to do. It becomes something I want to do more than anything. The singular difference between experiencing Jesus Christ in a transactional way and a transformational way is the engagement of the heart. The singular difference between seeing something to serving Jesus in a transformational way or a transactional way is the engagement of the heart. I was visiting a church and I met a man in the hallways one day and I said, how long, it was uh, many years ago, and I said, how long have you been coming to the church? He said, I've been coming four years. I said, great, how do you serve in the church? He said, I don't serve in the church. Oh, well, there's a lot of great ministries outside the church. How, maybe, perhaps you serve in one of those, so what do you do? Do you serve in a ministry like that? No, I don't, I don't serve in a church like that. I don't serve outside the church in a ministry. Oh, that's okay. You know, a lot of people serve like around them. They just serve God. They live out their faith in their community, serving their neighbors, serving their family, doing that. So how about that? Do, 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 how do you live out your faith? I said, no, I don't, I don't really do any of that. And I just blurted out, are you a Christian? I didn't mean to say it. It just kind of came out of me. Because fruit trees produce fruit. Fruit trees produce fruit. Just as the symptoms of constant fatigue and shortness of breath may indicate a physical heart problem, so, brothers and sisters, if you have no desire to serve, if I have no desire to serve, and if I'm incapable of serving with joy, that is an indicator I have a heart 
problem. So let me ask you, where's your heart? How's your heart today? Is your heart dull? Maybe it's been damaged by some trauma you've been through. Maybe some other Christian has hurt you. Maybe your heart is distant. You're kind of going through the motions. Or maybe like me, what has happened many times with my own heart is an idol has grabbed the affections of my heart and I've become distracted. Wendy and I were on our way to Calgary, Alberta to lead a training. And uh, I was studying, I was reading Revelation 2. And if you know anything about that, it's Jesus speaking to the churches. And basically... I can tell you right now as I read that passage, Jesus Christ was speaking to me. Al, you work hard. That's great. You don't tolerate evil. That's great. But you have left your first love. As if the Lord whispered to me, do you remember what you were like when you first got saved? You know, my response to that was, no, 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 no. You're not talking to me, Lord. Do you ever step on a scale and you don't like the answer? Come on, anybody in here, you ever step on a scale you don't like? You know what I'm talking about? You know what my first response is when the scale tells me I've put on a few more pounds than I'd like to believe? My first response is that scale is broken. My second response is kick the scale. And my third response, any of you do this? My third response is I step off the scale and step back on the scale once again. By the way, that works sometimes. (laughs) Now, I was putting on some weight. Typically, since college, I've been like about 36-inch waist. That's, That's what I've been. But there was a point in time where I was putting on some weight. And I could not face the fact that I was bursting out of my 36, beyond my 36 pants, into 38 pants and beyond. And I had to go get a 38-inch size belt, but my pride would not let me get a 38-inch size belt. Thank God, miracle of miracles, I went into this store, and I found this brand of belt. It said 36. I put it around my waist, and it fit. I thought, that's amazing. I lost weight in about two minutes. I took that belt, and I measured it. Against the 36-inch belts? Do you know what? It was actually two inches longer. But it said 36. And I bought that belt. And when it broke, I went back and searched for that same brand of belt again. You know why? Just so I 
could deceive myself and fool myself and stay in denial. But I want to tell you, when I was up on my way to Calgary and the Lord spoke that to me, I knew no amount of manipulation and denial could get me out of this. Because I knew God was saying to me, Al, you have left your first love. Matthew 5.8 says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know that in the Greek, you know what that means? It means just something. It's that you would experience. Blessed are the pure in heart. They'll experience God. They'll see something, God. See something remarkable and experience. Don't you want a life like that? I'm sure many of you do. Where you have a remarkable life. Blessed are the pure in heart. This is what I'd say to you. So much of my desire to serve, my joy in serving, is a reflection of the purity of my heart. You want a culture of joyful service? I want a culture of joyful service. It's deeply connected to the purity of my heart. A culture of joyful service happens when each person discovers they're incredible. In 2004, Disney released the movie The Incredibles. Anybody seen that movie? Come on, raise your hand if you saw that movie. All right, and then they just released The Incredibles 2. Isn't that right? Now, it's about a superhero family. Perhaps you're familiar. And they all have given supernatural endowments so they can fight evil. Isn't that right? And so Mr. Incredible, what's his... Tell me. Now, what's his strength? Yeah, what's his strength? Is he's strong. Great question. Wasn't that good? Uh, he's strong. He has incredible strength. And what's, what do they call his wife? Elastigirl. And what can she do? She can stretch up to 100 feet. And then there's the daughter. What's her name? Violet. Excellent. Way to go. And what can she do? She's invisible. And then there's the oldest son, and his name is Dash. And what's his gift? He's fast. He's super fast. And then there's baby Jack-Jack, right, who has a bunch of powers. Isn't that right? And together, is this the coolest thing? Together this family fights evil. Is that the coolest picture of the body of Christ? Do you know God has given each of us supernatural endowments? He has incredible power that He gives us to serve, and that together we fight off evil. Together we advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Together we make disciples. Every believer, every child of God, just like that song we sang, is designed in such a special way the Scripture says two amazing things. Two amazing things. I hope you'll catch this. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. That is for you and for me. The, the entire purpose of the Christian life. Do you know what that means? 
For by grace we have been saved through faith, that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship. Brothers and sisters, this is the point, this is the point of our lives. We are His workmanship. You know what it means in the Greek is masterpiece. That's one way to look at this word clearly is that we have been made a masterpiece of God. You are a masterpiece of God. Your seven-year-old child that's a believer is a masterpiece of God. You're listening to me. You're 12 years old. You're a masterpiece of God. And He's given you spiritual gifts. He's designed you in a special way, crafted you in Christ for good works to accomplish the assignments and missions that He has for you. Is that cool? But you and I have to make the decision to find the gift, to find out how God has designed us, and to walk by faith into what He has for us. And that's amazing. Do you know the second thing he said? So that's really cool. He's got a plan. He's got a perfect plan. You have to find, find it and you have to walk in it. It doesn't just happen. And the second cool thing he said is this. Second amazing thing Jesus said is this in John 14, 12. Whoever believes in me. Listen to this. Whoever believes in me also will do the works that I do. And this next statement, if that's not enough, and greater works than these He will do. You believe that? Seriously? He fed 5,000. He walked on water. He healed a blind man. You mean seriously? I get to participate in things like that? Many years ago, our neighbor was bathing, bathing his infant son. He accidentally knocked the dryer, the plugged-in dryer, into the tub, electrocuting the baby. The baby was still alive. The prognosis was horrible for that baby. The prognosis was the baby was sure to die, and if the baby lived, the baby would have such a low-functioning brain, the quality of life would be worthless. Wendy and I went up to that hospital, atheist couple, prayed by faith, oh God, prayed desperately, do a miracle, God! Do you know that baby? was 100% completely healed. Many years ago, I used to coach my girls in softball. There was a girl named Julia that played on our team, and as the kids grew up and got a little older and went to high school, she went to opposing high school and played softball and basketball against my girls. Wonderful girl. And one day I saw her dad in the city, and he was so distraught. And he said, Julia has contracted this rare respiratory virus and it could take her life. And I said, would you mind if I came to the hospital and prayed for her? They said, ah, begging, please. 
Now, a lot of people were praying. And by this time, her health had slipped so much that she was in ICU. And she was being kept alive by a ventilator. I remember walking into that ICU room and her parents had taken a break. They'd been there all the time, the entire time. But for that few moments, they were out of the room. They were gone somewhere. I have no idea. But they had given permission for me to go into that room. And the only person in that room was a nurse. And I had no idea who she was or what she believed. So I was a little bit embarrassed at first. And I just started in. I just started praying out loud desperately. Oh God, you have the power. You can do this. You can save this. You can raise this girl up. You can breathe life into her. And I'm telling you, that moment began a change in her life. Slowly she got off the respirator. Slowly she returned to health. And as only God can do, as only God can do, our basketball team at Palmer High, they had done some really kind things for her, orchestrated by my girls. As God would have it, we were playing them in a basketball game the day that Julia felt strong enough to be able to stand up and walk onto the basketball court. They let her put her uniform on, and they let her play the last minute of that game. God's amazing. That's not anything to do. I tell you that because God's amazing. God, God is amazing. Let me tell you this. God doesn't always heal. And my family knows that all too well. I know that, but I want to tell you this. I also know He can do anything through anyone. He can do great works through you. And maybe the great miracle you need today is that you can push through today in the pain that you have today. You know, I hope you'll hear this whether you are 9, whether you are 16, whether you are 35, 57, or 80, God has something incredible for you. Some of you know it. Some of you live in it. And then maybe some of you need to find it. Don't miss it. By giving your life to something that doesn't matter. Parents, can I encourage you? Watch for the way God has designed your children. You know, we look at our children and we can see the design in our children from when they were toddlers, from when they were little kids, even before then. And we watch God through the designs, bring the designs together. And it is so cool to watch my grandson, Andrew, and my grandson, Justice, and my granddaughter, JL, who are here this morning. And watch the threads of God in their life forming. Watch for what God can do. In a culture of joyful service, we understand that every position at Christ is indispensable. We understand in a culture of joyful service that every position at Christ's point is indispensable. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20 through 22. 
There are many parts and yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Have you ever hurt a part of your body? Like hurt a part of your body that you didn't think was that valuable? You didn't think it was that important, but after a while you, you, you learned, whoa, it's extremely important? Years ago I had a hairline fracture just below my little finger. And it was... Really, fine, it didn't bother me at all, unless I put pressure on it. Like if it were squeezed. And then, if it were squeezed, it would like send shock waves of pain through my body. Do you, do you ever have, you know what I'm talking about, something like that? So, in Omaha, where I grew up, in South Omaha, where I grew up, toughness is kind of a measure of a man. I mean, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, that's, that's kind of what it is. And so in that culture, giving a good firm handshake is not nearly enough. What you're supposed to do in South Omaha is try to totally engulf another man's hand and crush it. And that's what you're supposed to do. So I didn't want to be in social settings. I would get to social settings and I was freaking out. Oh God, please, no. And I didn't want to appear soft because I'm from South Omaha. So I'd go up and I'd have these, I'd shake these hands and I would have this enormous scream go off inside my body. Every time somebody would do that. Great to meet you. And now I know just how crucial that little bone is. Years ago, a man named Les attended one of our trainings. He was simple. He was humble. And at that time, he was a part of a church that was about 3,000 people. And this is what he said to me as we were talking. He said, you know, the secret of our church is no secret to our leadership. He says it's the ushers and greeters. Because they love people from the parking lot. They love people in. You know, today that church is about 24,000 people. It's called Southeast Christian. It's in Louisville, Kentucky. It's one of the top 10 largest churches in the country. Do you know what? Leadership says our church was made by the ushers and greeters. But you know what? We're not trying to become a mega church at Christ Point. We're just trying to be faithful to do better what God has for us to do. The other day a person called wanting to attend one of our courses and scolded us. Um... And basically said, I can't find anything on your website about how to attend a course. I'm supposed to bring a team to one of your trainings. We can't find anything about it. You guys got to do a better job with your website. And so Wendy and I are walking later and we're talking, we're laughing. Because sometimes it's like we're trying to keep people from coming. Our website doesn't help people. Um, The secret to our ministry success has nothing to do with our marketing. Um, It has to do with the power of God being unleashed through 16 completely unknown, indispensable people that are our prayer team, that are praying for me this morning, that are praying for Christ's point, point to find a new building. They're amazing. I mean... 
beyond anything else we've done, their experience is the reason I say this to give God all the glory. Their prayer, God through their prayer, not us, is what's taken our small ministry to over a hundred countries. Now, if you knew me, you would probably doubt, if you knew me personally, as some, some people do, you'd probably doubt God's wisdom. Um, if you knew our whole team, our small team, if you knew me, knew each of us, um, we're far too messed up, far too troubled, far too weak. It's the prayer team. They're indispensable. Man, what a prayer team can do for Christ's point. One of those women on our prayer team is Ann Kiefer. She used to be on Charles Stanley's prayer team, and she's about 90. I don't want to ask her age because, you know, just embarrassing at this point. How, you know, 90 years old, something like that. And recently she had some severe heart failure, and she just about died. And so I felt guilty a little bit when I sent her a prayer request and said, Ann, you know, would you pray about this for me? She said, look, of course I would. You never have to apologize. She said, you know, a friend told me a long time ago, if you're not dead... You're not done. She's indispensable. My prayer is, oh God, let her live and keep praying for our ministry, right? Um, You remember the story in Luke 21? Jesus looked up. And kids, I hope you remember this, saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering. And he saw this poor widow. Remember the story? Putting in two small copper coins. And Jesus said, Truly, this is the truth. I'm telling you right now. Truly, this woman has put in more than all of them. Did you know this? Jesus evaluates are giving and serving with a completely different value system. Did you know that? Jesus evaluates our giving and serving with a completely different value system. Reed is an official volunteer with Operation Christmas Child. He's on one of the over 400 plus area teams throughout the United States. He is so severely disabled, he can barely speak. He can't control the loudness of his voice. He can't control his movements and his sight is not the greatest. I've seen Reed many, many times. I've never seen Reed without his mother. She's always at his side. Her entire life mission is dedicated to Reed. Her life mission is Reed. Her calling is Reed. To hear her talk with joy about how much Reed loves Jesus. What a great heart Reed has for God. You know, when we get to heaven, I believe we're going to see that kind of faithfulness, that kind of service, Rewarded.
are the values that Jesus holds. And things are going to be flipped. And we're going to see men and women that have dedicated their lives to that kind of service. And we're going to be in line under their leadership. And I'm going to welcome that. You know, whether you serve at the sound ministry table, whether you make coffee as a ministry, whether you're a part of the village as a ministry, whether you're a mom or a dad, you are indispensable to the body of Christ and to Christ's point. You're indispensable. No matter your strength, no matter your age, your size, your circumstances, your limitations, or the title of the ministry position you hold, I want you to hear this, every person in this room, God can use you in a powerful way right where you are to change the world. Or, He can use you to change the world of one person who He brings in front of you. I heard this recently. I'm not a missionary because of where I live. I'm a missionary because of who I am. A culture of joyful service provides structure in order to better love people. It's not uncommon as we begin to work with churches or organizations that people resist change. It's just every organization we work with, whether it's a large worldwide Christian organization or a, a local ministry, um, change incurs resistance. It's common. And some people, when we talk about adding a little more structure or something like that, they're going, you know, that may, and I love their heart, they're like, that may hinder the Spirit of God. And so we want to be careful about that. Yeah, I, my heart would agree with that. Um, but whether selecting volunteers in, in Ukraine, Peru, or Charlotte, um, I think you're going to find that some structure is required. Once leaders understand the whys behind the structure and they see it's biblical, their heart and mind changes in regards to it. In Acts chapter 6, there, uh, there was a complaint that arose among the Hellenistic or the Greek Jews. Their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And so the apostles came together, and what did they do? They, they prayed and said, look, we're going to look for people who have a good reputation, who are full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, who we can put in charge of this. And so, the, you know, they did that. You know why they did that? They did that so they could love all the widows. It's biblical. You can see it in Exodus 18 as Jethro says to Moses, you know, his father-in-law, Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. He said, look, you can't get to all these people. They're all standing in this enormous line waiting to get to you. He says, look, select and equip people of character to share the burden of ministry with you. That's loving. Then you're going to be able to reach more people and they'll share the burden with you. It's biblical, whether in Exodus 18, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, you can do some of this on your own, but you're going to find that there are criteria listed 
every time in the Scriptures before we select people to be involved in the ministry beside us. And it's important to do that. Let me just mention a few reasons why. So when you see this happening at Christ Point, don't freak out. Here's why we want to do that. We want to do it to protect and love our children. We want to do it to protect and love our students. We want to have some structure and administration so we can better love all of you and all people at Christ Point, including visitors. We want to love people and ensure the safety of our people, and we want them to have the best fit and experience, whether they're serving in any capacity, so they can experience Jesus in a deeper way. Um, in 2006, we moved to Lenore, North Carolina. Anybody know where Lenore is? Some of you know where Lenore is. Great. Maybe you've driven by it on the way to Boone or to the mountains. We lived in Lenore for uh, six years. God clearly directed us to live in Lenore, and uh, we went to this church in Granite Falls, and Wendy was the uh, worship director of the church there, a church that grew to about 350. And she brought, and by God's grace, entire culture change to the worship ministry. Now when she came there, there were about seven vocalists, only a few that could actually sing. And the two of the ones that could sing, they were like always auditioning for American Idol or The Voice. Yeah. And then there were, there were people on that worship team that, whose lives were so messed up and so broken, they really shouldn't have been a part of the worship team. Um, but one of the greatest challenges that she faced was when a young man came to her and said, I want to be involved in worship ministry. It wasn't just any young man. It was the associate pastor's son. He couldn't sing a lick. And he couldn't play an instrument. When I say that, it reminds me of this woman I used to know years and years ago. She uh, thought she had the gift of singing, but we just never had the gift of listening to her. But you know what this kid could do? He loved the Word of God. And he could preach. I heard him preach. He was really good. And he also had this gift for developing videos and doing media. Fantastic. To watch Wendy navigate that situation was, was like watching a skilled kayaker navigate the rapids. She said, Adam, I've heard you preach. You have a great love and passion for the Word of God. It's beautiful. I've watched the videos you've made and it's impacted our church and made a huge difference in our body. But your skill level in playing and singing is so limited, you would have very little or no role on the worship team. Do you know that young man came back in about a week and this is what he said. You know, he said, I listened a lot to what you said. And I prayed about it. He said, you know, I'm telling you right now, I believe God is calling me to become a pastor. He went to seminary just a few weeks, really a few months later. He left North Carolina and went to seminary in Portland. Do you know what? He met his wife there. He now has a family. He's a pastor in Virginia. You know, sometimes the most loving thing we 
can do is say no to someone so that they'll be able to discover what God has for them. This morning, we talked about how uh, changing, strengthening a culture could take some time, so we need to be patient. We talked about how important it is to find our incredible, that is that God-given design and the assignment and mission He has for us. We talked about how every child of God in every ministry position is indispensable. And we talked about how the Bible demonstrates that some structure and processes are necessary to love people better. But maybe the most important thing I mentioned is that a culture of joyful service, that joy and a passion to serve emanates from a connection with my heart and with your heart. So I want to ask you this morning, you know what an electrocardiogram is? They test to find indicators of whether there is heart disease. And so... Uh, I just want to ask you today, you know, if God were to do an EKG of your heart, what would His honest view of your heart be? Would He say that your heart is dull? Distracted? Damaged? Distant? I want to ask you for a minute if you just do this. Would you just close your eyes? And I want just between you and the Lord right now, if you know your heart is dull and needs increased sensitivity, you know your heart has been severely damaged and you need healing, you know that you're distracted and you need focus, or maybe today you picked up, you have an excitement like you haven't had for a while about finding the mission God has for you. If any of those things are you this morning and you'd like me to pray for you while everybody's eyes are closed, would you just put your hand up so I can see it? Just keep your hands up. Put your more, a lot of hands going up. Put your hands up so we can see them. Let me pray for you and keep your eyes closed. Father God, we worship you. We praise you this morning. And God, I pray not only for those people uh, whose humility caused them to raise their hands, I pray you'd help them to find their perfect passion in you, their joy in you, their perfect mission for you. And I pray, Father, for me and for all of us at Christ Point and every person that raised their hand, God, that whether we need, uh, whether our heart is damaged or distant, I beg you, Father, for my own heart that it would be more pure. And that my hearts and the hearts of everyone here, God, would be pure so that we can experience you, more of you, and that our desire to serve would increase and our love for you would increase. That's what I pray, God. And I just pray, use, if there's something I said that's not right this morning, let them disregard that. But I pray, Father, everything that is of you would burn a hole in their heart. We love you, Father. You can put your hands down. We love you, Father. We pray that you would bless the rest of our uh, service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.